Here we go. Episode 4 of Dealing Death, the podcast. I'm Mike Magnoli, reporter for CBS 12 News in West Palm Beach, Florida. For weeks and for months, I've been trying to get Jack Fleischman to do a phone interview about the McFarland case. We've had some text messages here and there, a few phone calls, but Jack's caseload is very heavy, so he's hard to pin down. And his client, accused murderer, drug dealer Javon McFarland, doesn't want to have his voice in this series. At least, I guess not. Have you asked him if he wants to participate in the story? Uh, that's attorney-client privilege. How about anyone from McFarland's family? Do any of them want to be interviewed? I asked Jack to put out some feelers for me. The family, I'm not going to speak for the family. Okay, so dad in the minivan from episode two? Guess he's not feeling it. And you know what? I'm just going to be candid with you listeners. Attorney Jack Fleischman, he's not feeling it. He's not thrilled about this podcast. That's the impression that I got, anyway, in this call. What he told me in our first ever conversation, that was on the phone a long time ago, that he respects the media and he'll talk to his client about this podcast, well, that was something nice to say at the time. But in hindsight, I think he was hoping I'd go away. I'm not going away. And whether Attorney Fleischman likes it or not, he is a character in this. He's defending the murder suspect. So let me tell you about Jack. He's a twin. Yeah, just like the victim in our story. Just like Yanella Figueroa. Jack has a twin. A twin brother. And he's an attorney, too. And sometimes, they try cases together. I'm from Chicago originally. We went to law school in Chicago. And then uh, we were there for a while. I moved to Florida first. And then my uh, brother moved to Florida about three years later. You guys practice together? Yeah, we've been partners for over you know, about 30 years. Always in criminal defense? Yes. I did years ago, I did some child custody, but uh, that was over 20 years ago. But yes, we have always just done uh, criminal defense work. Have you ever been. Um on TV before, or have there ever been any high-profile cases where if I ran you through a Google, I could read about you? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Tell me about one. Uh, I mean, we've had multiple, and I don't know if that sounds kind of like a doctor. I mean, but yes, we've had, uh, yeah, we've had cases that were covered by the press, including appeals, because we also do a fair amount of appellate work. So we've had you know, some significant appellate rulings also. Tell me about one of them. I would say the most recent one. Well, the you know, the most recent one that received interest from both the legal community and the uh, and the press was that we had filed a motion to suppress evidence in a DUI manslaughter case where uh, the government retrieved the data from the a vehicle's black box without a search warrant. So we uh, filed a motion to suppress. Uh, that was that was granted by the circuit court. And then the state took uh, appeals all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, which they denied search. So that became, you know, the law. I mean, you need a... Uh, 
Yeah, you need a search warrant to access, absent consent, you need a search warrant to access a vehicle's black box in order to obtain the data. So that's one of the more recent ones. And then... Uh, what county was that out of, Jack? That was in Palm Beach County. Mm-hmm. So was that the black box data, like the key piece of evidence for the prosecution, or did they have other things? Uh, I had some, but not enough to, we ended up working that case out to uh, probation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they had some other, but the bulk of their case was the black box data. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, yeah, we've done, I mean, we've done a lot of trials. We probably, my brother and I have done, have done over 300 jury trials easily. So the, uh, do you guys appear in court together? Is the jury like, whoa, am I seeing double? Or um, how does that go? Does he does he stay in the office? Is he the behind-the-scenes guy and you're the one? No, well, we have two offices, so we're not together every day, although we speak throughout the day. But uh, yes, we do do some trials together. So uh, we try and not sit next to each other. And uh, you know, normally the judge will call us by the first and last name if uh you know if we do do a trial together so the record can be clear but sure. uh you know it's uh it's a little different but yeah we have done uh some federal trials together and some state trials together and uh yeah that's yeah, it can be interesting yeah i think this is interesting you know there's the bobsy twins and the Olsen twins, and the Fleischman twins. That could be a legal drama or a sitcom right there. Hey, Doublemint Gum, you want a new show to attach to? Sorry about the beeping in that last exchange, by the way. That was an incoming call. Uh, I gave whoever it was the button. Okay, back to Jack. Identical, but to me, I think we look somewhat different, but uh, the, you know, the voice and demeanor, I think it is exactly the same. Can you like communicate non-verbally? You know how they say that twins sometimes no. kind of ha like have that intuition about their twin. Do you think that's true? No, I, don't, I mean we may have intuition, but I don't think. I mean we don't communicate non-verbally. No, I wouldn't say that. But sometimes so, we have done trials together. We. uh yeah, we delineate like which witnesses will be will cross and that way we're not objecting to over each other and I mean normally the judges want just one attorney objecting. So, I mean we're pretty careful. Is that. your brother is your brother involved in the McFarland case or is that you on your own? No, I'm just doing that. We don't do every case together. I mean we discuss it, but you usually yeah, we don't do every case together. More so than not, we do them separately. But, you know, it depends on the case. So sometimes we'll do, you know, we'll have a case of, we feel maybe there should be a second person and, or, you know, we both want to do it, so we do it together. It feels like these past couple of months um, when I've been trying to get you to do this interview, um, your your caseload is crazy, man. Like, you're, you're, um, I don't know. You're in it. Well, you know? I mean, 
uh, well, I wouldn't say crazy, but yeah, we're in court a lot, and I obviously got a lot going on. I got to, not just me, but all defense attorneys, you have to juggle court, office, and you got to see clients that are in custody. Uh, you got to have time for motions. I mean, it's just a constant, uh, constant issue of just staying on top of everything, which, you know, we try and do diligently. And the Fleischman boys, attorneys at law, they're real tech savvy. If you have an image of a lawyer with big boxes of documents and briefcases that are overflowing with paperwork, well, that's not Jack, and that's not his brother, Sid. We went paperless about, I would say, a decade ago. So that certainly helped. When you say paperless, how is a lawyer paperless? How is that even possible? Because we literally scan everything, and we upload all video and audio to a cloud server, and then which has been great, honestly, for it's complete, it completely forces you to organize and it really organizes for you. And then you can be anywhere and pull it down, obviously, from the cloud, whether it be on your phone or, and the prices have come down. I think when we first decided to go paperless, yeah, it was fairly expensive. I mean, it's not inexpensive now, but certainly nowhere near you know, where it used to be. I think that helps also. I was going to ask so, you, you know, sometimes um, when I, I cover a lot of court and sometimes when I do and I'm talking to folks, um, they have a comment about defense attorneys. And, you know, it's, I'm sure it's something that you've heard, but how do you defend somebody um, if you think that they're guilty? Or can you defend somebody if, if you think that they're guilty? And I wonder what you tell folks when they ask you that. Well, uh, in our country, you know, each country is obviously different, but in our country, it's not, it doesn't matter if you're guilty or innocent. They set the system up, you know, for, for whatever reason they chose back when it first developed, they set the system up that the burden is on the government to prove their case. So uh, you have a duty if you're doing defense work you know, to defend your client. Otherwise, the system would completely collapse. So even if you have a client that is guilty, you know, the government may not be able to prove his or her case beyond a reasonable doubt. So uh, that's how the system works, and that's to ensure that hopefully you know people that are not guilty or maybe perhaps even people that are overcharged in a crime will go free or and not sustain a punishment that they shouldn't be subjected to so if i had to explain that that's the system i didn't invent it the job of a defense attorney is to defend the client and to hold the state or government, you know, federal government to their burden of proof, which is beyond a reasonable doubt. And then the case either resolves or it's up to a jury to decide if the state or government did that. That never gives you like any kind of moral dilemma or a little devil on one shoulder or a little angel on the other, Jeff? No. No, If it did, I obviously wouldn't do this. That's the, you know, in in the long run, as long as people 
you know, continue, you know, step up and do defense work, then the system overall should work. It's in a country or countries where they, there is not a defense allowed that, you know, things begin to become scary because everyone gets snagged, so to speak, like the giant fishnet. And there's a presumption that you're guilty. And like I said, a lot of people aren't guilty or are overcharged. I mean, that is an issue in our country as well. So it's important that the, uh, you know, that this continue on and that, you know, if you have you know, real qualms about a case, you don't take it. But that's, yeah, that's a personal call. And they can't force you to take a case. We don't do any court appointed cases, so they can't force you to take a case. But even if we did, I mean, that's your job. If you're not able to do it, then don't do it. To dovetail off of what you said about being overcharged, some listeners might think that proceeding this way and using a first-degree murder charge against a drug dealer um, is zealous and it's uh, overboard. Um, I wonder what you make about it. Uh, so from doing this for so long and seeing the range of punishments versus crimes charged, this is just me speaking personally. Uh, I believe that allowing this to be charged, you know, the legislature allowing this to be charged as a first degree murder is overzealous, but I understand obviously the other side. Yeah, that there is a zero tolerance for, yeah, in many cases, people that sell drugs could be even other items yeah, that kill people. I think the difference, though, is why my position is what it is, is that the, unlike a, I'm using the term broadly, like murder, whether it be during the course of a robbery or that we where the perpetrator is accused of killing someone, whether it be for a you know, robbery or maybe out of hate. But the, but the alleged victim in these cases is choosing to do an activity that itself is risky and may cause death. It's like, uh, I don't know, skydiving. I mean, I've never skydived, but you know, people, most people are okay when they do it, but there's definitely a risk that, you know, the shoot may open later. There may be an issue with it. So I think that, I believe it's safe to say that most people, uh, you know, using this type of drug are doing it voluntarily. Or at least it started out that way. I understand they got addicted, but. I think to charge this as a, you know, as a first degree murder, that's, that's my position on it. But I understand that probably majority of people don't feel that way, but yeah, from handling a wide range of cases, including these or something similar to this, that's my position. I mean, there is the voluntary use of an illegal drug by the alleged victim. 
I think that has to play a part in the equation. Jack goes on to tell me he thinks the government should have more programs, free programs, for getting people off drugs. He says the government should spend more time addressing the opioid crisis in that way, as opposed to putting on first-degree murder trials. Jack says the next step for him might be to hire an expert to look over the physical evidence in the case and see if there are any details that could be used to fight or to downgrade the charges. Now, Jack may not be aware, but the law has been amended, as we've talked about in this podcast in previous episodes. The fentanyl doesn't have to be the exact cause of death. It could be the, quote, proximate cause of death. That bill was passed into law. So you remember what Sheriff Flowers was telling me about a couple of episodes ago? Indeed, that proposal did make it through the legislature. Even though Jack told me no one from the family wants to talk to me for this podcast, I'm about to try something here, and it could be fruitful in bringing another voice into this story. So you might remember that I told you that Javon's girlfriend works at that Walgreens, where the drug deal allegedly went down. Okay, I found out some more about her, and I have her phone number. Shatigra Hunter is her name. She and Javon got into a fight in 2018, and apparently Shatigra's mom called 911. According to the police report, they had been beating the shit out of each other in a bedroom in the mom's house. Shatigra was charged with battery. The officer noted in his report that she was the primary aggressor, and Javon McFarland wasn't charged in that incident. Court records show me that Shatigra and Javon have been on the phone a few times since he's been in jail. And those uh, phones in the jail, guys, those are always being recorded. So investigators and prosecutors listened into those phone calls in the hopes they might hear something about evidence. And I'm trying to get the tapes of those jail phone calls. Okay, Shatigra and Javon were boyfriend and girlfriend. I don't know if they still are, but that's what police records said. Okay, so I find Shatigra on Facebook and I message her. If you want to know if she's talking back to me, you'll be back for episode five, guys. That's all for now. This is Dealing Death, the podcast.